0: I'm S.P. from Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a show about the general Marvel comic universe, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other hilarious and fun geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. This is the official GunnaGeek.com show. Each week, we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Stephen... Chris and SP.
1: Welcome to an all new episode of the official Gonna Geek show. I am Steven and with me, of course, is Chris Farrell. And I am not dying. <laughs> that's, that's good to get that disclaimer out from. We would have been worried if you were dying and you spoke. Uh, we've also got SP here.
0: I had a fantastic day. I saw a rocket fire up. I watched Return of the Jedi, and it's just been a wonderful day. Oh, by the way, there's also like about 60 inches of snow on the ground in Colorado.
1: Interesting. What, what do you want me to do about that information? Shovel.
0: Either that or hurry up global warming so so many people don't have to shovel.
1: I got something that you can shovel, but you might not like the smell.
0: That's all right. I got the Rona. Copy? I can't spell anything.
2: Copies of ET on the Atari 2600. That's exactly what I was talking about, Chris. Which, <laughs> hey,
1: by the way, speaking of poor jokes like that, uh, which wasn't, anyways. Wow. <laughs> wow, I took your trash comment and elevated it. You did. You did. I was more I was more taking a Man. shot. Against, I was taking a shot against myself, actually, as I segue to a, a compliment for you. I, I was thinking about this before the show here, that, uh, I think you're the only one that I've ever known to go cold turkey on a podcast. And I was reminded of the time that everything that we used to talk about would be a your mom joke towards me from mm-hmm. you. And and you went cold turkey on that. You're like, I'm going to stop it. And you did. And it's mm-hmm. been many years. And I think that we're, we're past that moment that uh, if we were to acknowledge it where, you know, you would fade back in. I think you're past the habit. And I just wanted to congratulate you on your multiple years. Of being your mom joke free. Congratulations, Chris! You mean after
2: you've tried to entice me multiple times into backsliding over the past few years? Exactly. I just
0: tried to entice you tonight, and you didn't take the bait.
2: <laughs> I think I did it once just to play along, and then I felt dirty because I went back to the back to the well for an old joke. You
0: apologized right after you did. I remember. Yeah, I don't remember yeah. when it was.
2: It was uncalled it... for, and I have evolved past that kind of humor.
1: So congratulations, Chris, on your multiple years free. I think that uh, you are now the sponsor for other people who tell your mom jokes. So dads. All right, let's start off here with some news that comes out of the world of Apple. If this is the first time you're checking out the Gunna Geek Show, first off, thank you for joining us. And secondly, what you're going to come to find is that there is a big Apple hater on this podcast, and his name is SP. Chris and I are massive Apple fans. And so today Mm -hmm. I just wanted to go and give exposure to an Apple product that I think is doing pretty well. And this is all about the Apple HomePod. The, the, original, the, the original, the original AirPods? Ho- no, the HomePod.
0: What the home home
2: home mod? Pod. You're Pod. modding your house?
0: I, I don't understand. Mm. What is this?
1: The Apple HomePod was designed back in 2018 as a smart speaker, and it's hmm. now discontinued. Yes, the <laughs> Apple has gone. The Apple has gone and announced that they are discontinuing the original 2018 HomePod. In 2018, when it launched, it had a mixture of reviews. On one hand, the audio profile blew away a ton of the competition that was available in the smart speaker market at the time. On the other hand, it was very high priced compared to the other smart speakers at 349 US at launch, and then settled around the 300 mark at launch or after launch and continued on there.
0: Plus, I want to I I, I want to specify here it's. not $3.49. I just want to make sure everybody knows.
1: I appreciate that. Yes, $349 at launch settled at $299 was where it leveled out to. But even though the speaker sounded amazing, some people couldn't get past the fact that it would damage your furniture. Yes, there was a whole ring issue where on certain furniture, it would leave damage to the furniture. But they are now shifting focus, Apple, because last year they introduced the HomePod mini, which is a smaller version of the HomePod, still using Siri and still uh, putting out pretty decent quality audio for the size. And apparently that is the direction they are going to go. Quote, we are focusing our efforts on HomePod mini. We are discontinuing the original HomePod. It will continue to be available while supplies last through Apple Online Store, Apple Retail Stores, and Apple Authorized Resellers. End quote. That was a quote from Apple to TechCrunch. Now, this is interesting to me because, honestly, one of the biggest detriments to the HomePod and the HomePod Mini is Siri because Siri just pales in comparison to everything else. So it's interesting to me that they're going to continue with the not good audio one because i could see some people making the argument that well the homepod does sound really good and it and it still did sound pretty good compared to some of the upper tiers of the amazon devices and the google but um the fact that the voice assistant isn't very good, now you're focusing on the small version, which is naturally going to make that more of the focal point is the voice assistant if the speaker isn't as good and it's smaller. So I don't know what this is. I don't know if this is them finally going, okay, I think it's time for us to get out, but we just released this last year. Let's ride this for a couple more years and then get totally out of this market. Will there be another one that comes that's maybe in between the 999 and the 300 price point? I don't know. I uh, The fact that they're saying that they're focusing on the HomePod mini kind of makes me wonder if this is the tail end of the HomePod endeavor. Chris, what's your thought? Well, two points. A lot of it's all about ecosystem.
2: So if people are comfortable with the Apple ecosystem and the Siri smart assistant for everything, then they're probably OK with putting these in their home. But Google, excuse me, Apple's realizing something that Google realized in between apple doing this which was remember apple put out the airpod Mac, the home pod that was huge then google released the uh the home max giant speaker that was like $300 that had really good audio qualities to it and they've already discontinued it and that was discontinued i think back in december as we record this and what they've realized and i think apple has realized now is people don't want their digital assistants for the most part the vast majority of their consumers Don't want the big speakers with a smart assistant in it. People aren't worried about having the greatest fidelity of audio. They're worried about having a convenient device in these cases that you can put somewhere and be able to get interaction, smart home assistance, basic music, things like that. There are exceptions to that rule where there are people who are worried about using these things for higher audio quality. But if that's what you're doing, why are you streaming music?
0: I think. It's more about the Apple tax than it is about speaker quality, because I have Amazon speakers all over my house, the uh, digital assistants, the echoes, the shows, whatever. If I had better speakers on all of them, that'd be awesome. But it comes down to a price point where I don't want to pay the Apple tax. I don't want to pay $350 where a $30 or $25 or a $20 little puck is going to do. Uh, Yes, I would prefer if my whole house had better speakers on all these things and I could play music throughout the entire house. I do already. And it's kind of nice as I'm running around cleaning, stuff like that. But I'm not going to pay $350 for 11 different speakers across my house. It's just not going to happen. And I think that's where Apple is failing. It's when they can't. Give a significantly higher quality item that everybody wants for a higher price, that's where they're failing. Now, with the new MacBook uh, M1 chips, everybody kind of wants that because the chips itself is just amazing performance, right? So, everybody's willing to pay the Apple tax on these little laptops, which are, I would venture to say, at least 50%, if not 100 to 200% higher cost than a. Windows equivalent. Uh, The phones, I think, are outrageously expensive for what they are now. And we've talked about that forever. I have the highest quality phone because I'm old and I want it, but I admit I significantly overpaid for it. Everybody did that got one. And it's just with these smart speakers that aren't tied to anything else. It's not tied to a ecosystem where you can buy stuff out of your Amazon account or whatever. So I think it's a multitude of factors. But as far as the speaker quality goes, I wish my devices had a little bit better speakers, but I'm not going to pay $350 for them.
2: And that's what consumers have realized, too. Hence why the HomePod mini is all that remains right now, because people don't want to pay the price to have high quality speakers everywhere. They're okay with having okay speakers spread throughout their house, for lack of a better term.
1: I agree. And that's sort of what I'm thinking with this as well. And that's why I wonder if at some point, if they decide not to get, get out of it entirely, if we'll see something that's a little bit in between, because like comparing a 300 like comparing the HomePod speaker to an Echo Dot is not like a, a, a match. It's apples to oranges. It, it apples to oranges, for sure, or or apples to Google. <laughs> and uh, the thing is, for some people, they just want that voice interaction. And so that's where those dots work well. but. I think when you look at like the Amazon line, they've done it great. They've given a balance or a variety of like sub two hundred dollar offerings, and some of them have displays, some of them have better quality sound, some of them are are like just a a dedicated Echo unit, the Echo Plus that have good sound, and then you've got like the Echo Show Eight, which has good sound. Maybe not as good as the Echo Plus, but almost there in some ways a little bit better because I own both, Um, but it has a display. So you have all of these variety of options to fit every person's sort of desire and needs and and not spend three hundred and fifty dollars. Right. So so I think that. 350 is too high. I could see I could see them getting away with something around the two hundred dollar mark, but I, I think that they're just way out in left field at the moment. And that's why they had to discontinue it. And uh yeah, I I am one of those people who doesn't have an Echo Dot in play anymore because I wanted the better better sounds. The smallest one that I think I have that I would call like the most basic is the Echo Show five.
2: I mean, I think we talked about it when this originally dropped is, for lack of a better term, this is a Me Too product. This is Apple saying, hey, look, we have speakers for our smart assistant. And they were billing it as, hey, here's a great way to hook in Apple Music, which is a good streaming service. And at the time, did not have hooks into other services. But now you can get Apple Music I think you can get it on Google devices. I think you can get it on the Amazon devices, things like that. They've spread out and realized, hey, as long as people are subscribing, we don't care. And there's, they were so far behind when it came to putting these speakers in your room, that it was a tough sell. And honestly, the best reason to have bought the HomePod was to buy two of them to pair with your Apple TV as a easy, cheap surround sound, high quality sound for your television. Because that's one of the things that they didn't really advertise it very well, but you could pair HomePods directly with your Apple TV. So if you just had a flat screen on a wall, that was an easy way to get rudimentary surround sound, or at least better sound coming out of it. I don't think this is a bad thing. I think I wouldn't be shocked if Apple eventually decides to get out of this market because I don't see it as being a big winner for them. They sell a few, and maybe it helps them drive some Apple Music subscriptions, but probably not enough to make them say mm-hmm. we have to keep this line hardware going. And, and that's fine. I think there's nothing wrong with saying this may not have panned out how we want and backing out of it. That's true. It's a tough market, digital assistants
1: it is especially when google and amazon are both doing it very well now mm-hmm. i've expressed issues with google's actual home interaction but when you look at it from the perspective of google assistance evolution from the google now time back when it was called google now like they have just done so much every big generation change of that and amazon came in strong from the from the start so yeah It'll be interesting to see what happens.
2: Look, it's a tough market. Did you see what Microsoft did with their only Cortana speaker this week? It was the Harman Kardon Invoke that was a speaker that was designed to have Cortana built into it. And they just dropped a patch and updated it. To remove Cortana from it, so it's a big glorified Bluetooth speaker. <laughs> oh! <laughs> they were on Best Buy last year for closeout for ninety nine bucks, and I was like, eh, "This could be fun to play with." And i went, "Yeah, I don't need it." And I'm sitting here going, "Thank God I didn't do that."
1: <laughs> oh, still would have been better than the Clasio. Is that what the name of it was? Or oh, whatever. Whatever they renamed it to, I forgot about
2: that device. I hope whoever bought it at Goodwill for like three bucks enjoys it.
1: (laughs) All right, well, let's move on to the next news point, which is all about a day one Game Pass release, right?
2: That's right. So we're going to talk about Microsoft's uh, Game Pass service that they have. For those that aren't familiar, it's basically the Netflix of gaming. You pay a monthly fee. You have access to an entire back catalog of games, some of which, depending on your subscription tier, are available on PC, Xbox, or on the xCloud service. Now, there is a game right now that is being developed by a studio called People Can Fly, which is underneath of Square Enix. And they're making a game called Outriders that dropped in beta mid-February. And I'll be honest, I didn't have a chance to start playing it until this weekend when my co-hosts on the All Things Good and Nerdy podcast recommended it to me. And I started playing and said, hey, this is actually kind of a fun game. It's a looter shooter, which normally isn't my kind of jam, but I was having fun with it. And there were rumors coming out that Microsoft might be making a big play of trying to acquire it to be a Game Pass game on day one. Now, this isn't unheard of. Remember, any studio that Microsoft owns outright, they've pretty much got it set up so that day one release, if you're a Game Pass subscriber, you can play it. Meaning when Halo Infinite comes out later this year, if you're subscribed to Game Pass, the day it launches, you can start playing it for no additional cost. But this is a game from a third-party studio and they have seemingly worked a deal with people can fly the company that's developing it and confirmed today that players that have a game pass subscription will be able to download and play the game on april 1st when it releases no this is not an early april fool's joke they will be able to play it on xbox or on the xcloud gaming service which i thought was kind of cool for those that aren't aware outriders and here's just a brief blurb takes place on a distant planet called Enoch. After getting colonized by humans, something goes horribly wrong. You get thrown in stasis for years. You then emerge with special powers and you have to help your friends who are all noticeably older reclaim the planet. It's a very hard sci-fi kind of thing. Earth is destroyed. You've all become refugees on this unpopulated planet and bad things happen. It seemed like a lot of fun. It is coming out on Google Stadia, PlayStation 4, PS5, Windows PC via Steam, And of course, the Xbox family of systems. What is also interesting and why I bring this up is A, it's coming to Game Pass, which is pretty cool. But B, this is one game, and we've seen it in beta, that is a true cross-platform game, meaning I can play on my Xbox. And if I wanted to play with my co-hosts, Anthony and Willie, who both have PlayStations, there is cross-play enabled between all of these devices. So it doesn't matter what ecosystem you've bought into, you can play Outriders with anyone else. And this is a big deal to me because I'm bought into one ecosystem, my friends bought into another, and now I've got a chance to play a looter shooter game with my friends and I'm looking forward to it. And while we're talking about it, I sort of get the play that Square Enix slash People Can Fly are making here. It's a looter shooter. These are the kind of games that thrive on people eventually buying battle passes or microtransactions to get cool little loot packs and stuff like that. So while they might miss out on the 60 bucks up front, because people aren't buying it, they're getting it through Game Pass. They do get paid by Microsoft for being on Game Pass, by the way. They're going to make it so that people are more likely to make, well, I'm getting this as part of my subscription. Let me buy the Battle Pass this month because I'm enjoying it. Or let me buy some of these cool skin packs because I'm effectively playing the game for free in my mind because it's part of a subscription I already paid for. So it's an interesting play. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how well this game does on Game Pass when it drops on April 1st, because it could be an interesting New model for third party developers to pick up, which is yeah, Game Pass might be smarter for us just to be part of it and then bank on people buying things after the fact.
1: This is awesome. I am so happy to see more titles launching as cross play and on Game Pass. This is, this is. Like I want to be a gamer so much, and I've talked about that before, but <laughs> but that I just time I, I can never find the time. But this is such a good concept for people like me who know that like if I'm going to go play something, I I'm probably going to play it for a little bit and then like quickly fade on it because I don't have time and I, I do other things instead. So having it on Game Pass where I can go and I can play it for a little bit and then. Not have to sit there and regret spending eighty dollars for three days worth of play. Uh, I think it's great.
0: Isn't Chris going to send you his PS five and you were going to start playing on the PlayStation Network?
1: Well, that's what I thought, was thinking about as he was talking about this. You know, I, I felt I do feel bad for him that he chose to buy the PS five and Anthony and Willie chose to buy the Xbox Series X. So it just I, I feel terrible for him.
0: I right. know somebody should take it off his hands.
1: I know how much Chris likes the PlayStation controllers better than the Xbox controller. oh well, Steven, <laughs> I'll send you my PlayStation
2: 5 immediately. Oh, perfect. Don't worry. I'll send it immediately.
1: <laughs> uh, for those of you not following the joke, uh, Chris has made it very clear on this show that he bought the Xbox Series X. And generally, his co-hosts over on All Things Good Nerdy are more Sony fans, right? They prefer the PlayStation
2: and let's clear things up it's not like there's a little console war going on we have preferences but we never really get to microsoft's better because this and sony's better because of that because console warring is dumb if you go out and console war you're wasting your time
1: you missed that opportunity for promotion you could have like teased that on these listeners and then they would have gone over there
2: no i hate console war (laughs) and i think it's a waste of time and all it does is Make people angry and waste people's time over stupid, trivial nonsense. Just let people play on the system they like. And if it's possible, let them play between consoles. Like what we're seeing with Outriders here being able to play between Stadia, PC, Sony, Xbox. That's awesome. More of that, please.
0: I have a whole rant on how these boxes are too expensive. Then they really should be less expensive to be more ubiquitous. But hey, they can't manufacture them anyway right now, so they'd inherently be higher price. Matter of fact, have you been on eBay lately trying to see the price of these things? No. They're like. Thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars, and that's U.S. dollars. That's not Canadian money. That'd be like ten thousand dollars Canadian. It's ridiculous.
2: Don't support the scalpers. No, don't do it, people. You don't need a console that bad. Wait until they'll be back in supply and get it that way. Scalpers are the devil.
1: Yeah, I agree. And also, by the way, crossplay. Just a little fun story today. Ah, uh, my kids have been for a while played Fortnite on the Xbox One uh, S, actually. And then they were playing it on their Switch. And today, my son was playing it um, on his Switch through the dock on the TV. And I noticed how much lower quality it was on the Switch than the Xbox One S. And that was uh, even like the last generation. I don't know. It just it was more jagged edged and things like that. Well, those are equivalent generations, those two devices. That's true. They and you are. don't. Yeah.
0: And you don't even have a 4K TV. You just have the 1080.
1: Yeah, yeah. But I had noticed yeah. that it just looked quite a bit different. So huh.
0: okay. there, there's some interesting
2: stuff you can see on that. If you go look at some of the Digital Foundry videos where they break down how um, Fortnite works on the Switch, it's fascinating how well they've made it work on there and they get into the compromises they made to do it. But yeah, it, it's not a very powerful chipset in there to do the same things that even the ancient Xbox One chipsets were able to do.
0: Yeah. Uh. By the way, Stephen, that wasn't a dig on you that you didn't have a 4K TV. By the way, I wouldn't have a 4K <laughs> you, TV if I hadn't had mine go out on me last year. So just I'm sorry <laughs> if I made you feel like you were <laughs> no, you, living uh, without.
1: You didn't. And and I, I regularly admit that I'd like to get a 4K TV, actually. But and it's like they're a dime a dozen now. You can get them cheap. You can get them expensive. So it, at some point it'll be in my future. But. Uh, let's go on to our next news point here, which is all about our favorite trusted friend of the Gunna Geek show. That's right. It's Hubble story time.
0: Yeah, we have got a Hubble news story again. I had kind of not done any Hubble news stories in the past, but in deference to my two co-hosts and their love for the Hubble, I just needed to bring this back because it was a close call this past week. And oh, by the way, we have another... Update after that. But let's talk about the Hubble first on a NASA statement that was made on the 12th of March, 2021 on their website. They have a blog on their website, by the way, with all these news stories. So if you just go to nasa.gov, you'll find the blog over there. Quote The Hubble Space Telescope returned to science operations on Thursday, March 11th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Wide field camera three. Remains suspended while the team investigates a low voltage issue that prevented it from returning to operations. The telescope has completed its first observations since returning to science mode, using the Cosmic Origins Spectrograph instrument to map gas flows in an active galactic nuclei. Unquote. So, a couple of things of note there. First of all, Hubble telescope. Went offline. And we talked about it last week uh, with the software glitch. It came back, but it came back without its main instrument, the Wide Field Camera 3, and it was because of a low voltage issue. So, this concerned a lot of people that the Hubble was entering into end of life faster than everybody expected. Steven's well, scared it's going to land on his house now. I don't think that's scared. I think it's just an expectation.
2: Are you going to catch it? Just
0: just welcoming your uh, alien overlords. They're going to drop the telescope on your house, right? Mm -hmm. Well, NASA followed that statement up with another statement on the 13th of March, 2021. So that would have been Saturday. The Wide Field Camera 3, now we'll just refer to it as WFC3, instrument on NASA's Hubble Space Telescope was brought back online on Saturday, March 13th at approximately 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The instrument was shut down as part of the normal observatory safe mode activities that occurred on Sunday, March 7th, in response to a software error on the main flight computer. After starting its recovery on Thursday, March 11th, WFC3 suspended the process due to a slightly normal, lower than normal voltage reading for a power supply, which triggered an internal instrument safeguard. Analysis showed that the voltage levels in WFC3 power supplies have slowly decreased over time as their electronics aged. The electronics experienced colder temperatures when the hardware is turned off in safe mode. This factor coupled with the power the instrument components draw as they are turned back on contributed to the small voltage fluctuation that suspended WFC3 recovery operations. Further detailed analysis indicated that it would be safe to slightly reduce the low voltage limit to avoid a future suspend, and it would be safe to recover the instrument to its science state. The instrument has now been safely recovered. Standard calibration of the instrument and other pre-observation activities will be conducted this week. WFC3 observations will then be included in the science timeline so that the instrument can once again collect data and continue expanding our understanding of the universe. So yay, you guys got the Hubble back, but oh no, you guys got a 30-year-old car back that is needing to go into the shop quite a bit. I can
2: still get the Walmart with this analogy.
1: I was gonna say, like, you can go and you could buy yourself a brand new, like, let's go with something basic, like a, a brand new Toyota Corolla. Okay, that's that's new. It's probably got some cool bells and whistles if you go and move up a package and things like that and it's fun. But it just doesn't compare to taking grandpa's old Crown Victoria for a spin around the block. If you go and you take grandpa's old Crown Vic or Grand Marquis, that's just that that's just the cat's meow as they say right there. So, that's what the hubble is. The hubble is grandpa's Crown Vic Cadillac or uh, Grand Marquis. I'm just throwing old vehicles. Yeah, I was
2: thinking it was more like a Honda Civic. You can drive it into the ground forever and it, it'll just keep going. Because there's this one gal I work with who has like a 30-year-old Honda Civic that she's got like 350,000 miles on and the thing's still going strong. It's insane.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. You guys can have your old cars. I'll take my Cybertruck when it comes in. Well,
2: your Cybertruck ain't in space yet, is it? My car's
0: in space <laughs> in this analogy. <laughs> <laughs> I see. All right. Don't so, you wish you'd yeah. gone
1: with a Tesla for your example, SP? <laughs> right. You'd be good then. If you well, said Tesla Cyber Roadster. Truck is a Tesla. It's not a Tesla Roadster. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's I, not. I meant it's not roadster. A roadster. You're you're right. Yeah. um Also, though, actually, really, really side note. Before we go on, I do want to say though, this whole breakdown of what went wrong with Hubble really made me think about like. How cool it would be to actually like see the Hubble right now because it was what 1990 it was launched and it would it would be really weird to see the 1990s technology that was in there like you know and you think about what's going up now and if you put them side by side just I don't know it would just kind of fun to think of this big huge part of our space exploration and it's like in some ways we rely on it so much. And, and then, if you were actually look at the 1990s technology, you'd be like, yeah, that's old. That's old.
0: It'd be fun to bring it back to Earth. Maybe put a new mirror in it, put new electronics, and set yeah. it back up. But on the other hand, that'd be like restoring I I don't know a 1956 Buick with all new components on the inside. Sure, it's going to look like a 19 a brand new 1956 Buick. But would you rather have that, or would you rather have a new? They don't make them anymore. But Roadster, as you said, or a Tesla Cybertruck, or you know, you name your new car. I, I'd yeah. rather have the new car because, you know, it's going to last for a while. I mean, it's cool to show off and take to shows and museums and stuff, but you just don't want to do day-to-day stuff with it anymore just because it's so old.
2: It's like dropping a V8 and a Tesla Model S. <laughs> I bet Side you. Note, there are people doing it. It's pretty Yeah, cool. I was
0: going to say, I bet you there's some people that have done it and v- vice versa. I bet you there's a lot of people out there that have done electric conversions on cars that, yeah.
2: Uh, rich rebuilds who was known for a lot of his tesla rebuilds and things like that he's currently putting a v8 inside a model s and it's just absolutely fascinating we're on a complete tangent here i realize but how, <laughs> yeah. to, how to retrofit the body of an electric car to fit like a transmission tunnel and stuff like that it's a fascinating watch
0: and guys i know that the hubble you guys love the hubble so much and it has given us so much good science over the years but it, It's quite frankly, at the end of life. And we need to move on because it's sucking resources away from improving our understanding of the universe through new instruments. And I think we need to progress now. I mean, it's working great right now because there's nothing else out there to replace it one for one. But I really think we need to move on, which leads us to the next news story. (laughs) James Webb Space Telescope. All right. I saw this article in the Atlantic and I was like, what? I was like, okay, well, this actually makes sense. I was worried about this. I wish I would have said something on the podcast like six months ago, but I was legit worried about this. And apparently I wasn't the only one. So the headline is James Webb Space Telescope is at risk from pirates. Yes. You heard me right. Pirates Yarr! Pirates of the Caribbean. You got it. That type of pirate. Okay. So the exact date that James Webb Space Telescope will be transported to its launch location in the French Guiana is being kept secret because, and I'll just embellish here, space pirates. So there was a tweet way back on February 4th at a conference from Christopher Consellens, I think is how you say his last name. I'm sorry, Christopher, for butchering your name. Anyway, the tweet said, Learn today that the exact date when JWST will be shipped via boat to its launch site is a secret as there are fears of pirates capturing it for ransom. Just when you thought things couldn't get worse. All right. So (laughs) later this year in 2021, James Webb will travel by ship passing through the Panama Canal to reach the French Guiana. Webb has a mirror as tall as a two-story building and a protective shield the size of a tennis court. And it's just too large for a plane. Now. This all actually gets condensed and it's not that big when it launches, but it is really big and it's really too big to travel on a plane. So there has not been any reporting considering the amount of the ransom that would be charged for the James Webb at the time of our recording, but I'm thinking it would be substantial. Plus it would put all the timelines backwards and everything. Uh, the article in the Atlantic goes into there has been no notes of military escort or, you know, what kind of ship it's going in or anything like that. But, hey, I just hope it makes it there on time. Uh, it's not like it's got a definitive launch window based on orbital mechanics. It's not like we're sending it to another planet and it has to launch at a certain time. It's going to a Lagrange point, which we can launch at any time, really. But it would really be nice for the program's schedule since it is, oh, I don't know, about 14 years late. It would be nice to get it into space now.
2: Are they transporting this on a ship called the Lumerian Star by chance?
0: I was going to bring that up, Chris. I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. <laughs> I, I really am. So for those that don't know, that was the ship in the Marvel's movies, the, the Avengers movies that was uh, aborted. And um uh, And uh, it was actually a SpaceX ship, if I believe at the time, a real SpaceX ship. So, uh, yeah, no, it's not that I know. Besides, that wasn't a cargo ship. That was like a a working ship.
2: But it did have stuff they were launching into space on it. Well, yeah. Yeah. That was my connection there. I was going for the deep pull. I'm glad you got my reference.
0: I did. I picked up your reference. I understood that reference on your left.
1: All I know is that this, to me, seems a little bit like laying the groundwork for the truth, which is the fact that it's just never actually going to be in existence. It fell apart a long time ago. It, it doesn't exist. It, it, and so this is what it is. be is like, okay, oh, someone stole it. Oh, sorry. We got nothing to put up there anymore.
0: See, I figured your truth was that The earth is flat. I thought that's the truth that you were going for. And you just went right over that to. This
1: this is all just going to be a big cover up. That's what it is. And they've planted the seed. And then once it, quote, is stolen by pirates, then they've, they've made us all think about that and we'll believe them.
0: Let me ask you this. If you plant the seed on the reverse side of the flat earth, does it grow down?
1: Yes, it does.
0: Okay, Down is relative. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's actually what happened to the james Webb. is that it got pushed off the edge of the flat earth that's what happened
0: i could believe that of a great many things
1: send all of your hate mail to js at that's No, that's no, no, no. js
0: Go, go ahead, Steven at geek.com. <laughs> yeah,
1: sure. Well, I'll, I'll take that this time. That works for me. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about Microsoft Teams issues. This just happened today. Uh, we're recording this today on Monday, March 15th, 2021. Microsoft said today that it was rolling back a recent change to its authentication system that affects thousands of users of various services, including the very popular Microsoft Teams app. Outage tracking website DownDetector.com showed that more than 26,000 people had reported issues with Teams, while over 3,000 users at the time of this article being written uh, reported issues with Office 365. Microsoft did acknowledge in a tweet in a tweet that they were rolling back the it, the uh, issue, but that it was taking longer than it expected to do the rollback. And this affected a variety of different services, as you might expect, if it's t- tied to the authentic wow, tied to the authentication system. And the reason I wanted to bring this up right now is because I think the era we're in at the moment, like if you looked a year ago, maybe a year and a month ago, at an outage like this, you'd be like, yeah, okay, so some people lost teams, like some some people lost a few Microsoft services, but we're in such a digital world now. And so much is tied to various Microsoft services that this will have affected a whole bunch of things. And I just went and looked in one of the articles I found. They had a bunch of tweets that they just pulled from the internet. And a couple examples on like vaccine appointments. There was someone that had said that their notification list was not working anymore because of that. There was various classes that were canceled, of course, because of Teams issues. You had internal calendars. And I might admit that at some point today, I got a notice from my IT help desk about a Microsoft issue, which when I tried to load the email gave me an authentication issue. So mm-hmm. I suspect it was probably tied to that. Um, so I just been such movement with Microsoft Teams and for them to have something like this and then the patch to take longer. Ooh, I feel bad for Microsoft there.
0: Have I told you guys I use Teams at work? I think I have,
1: right? Yeah, I Mm -hmm. do too, yeah. Yeah, We're
0: we're retiring Teams in about 90 days or something like that. We're just going to stop using it. There's really nothing to replace it. Nothing that's going to work from home as well as it does in the office. It's just going to go away. Uh, They decided not to buy the license. I don't know (laughs) how much the license was, but they decided to get away from it. And also, I think for the most part, my type of work is being done back in the office and everybody seems to be okay with that now with the um, number of cases going down, at least for now, and the number of vaccinations going up. So I am going to be glad to get rid of teams because of all these authentication issues. Uh, tell, Let me tell you, authenticating teams at work is a major pain in the rear end, but I'm going to be sad to see it go because it is the only thing that we've had connectivity to do telework and then be able to have that connectivity at work at the same time so it's uh 50 50 glass half full glass half empty sort of thing six and one half dozen the other and i just personally i'm i I'm going to be glad to see it go because then it's just back to business as usual for us.
1: Well, and but the the thing is, like, there's different types of workplaces, right? And there there are we'll call them old school mindset workplaces, which end up having things like this where they can just eliminate a, a digital communication platform. And then there's ones that are cross regions that are a little bit more digitally thinking that who Couldn't remove Teams. They, they would need a replacement. And unfo- like you said, you guys don't have a replacement. That's because there isn't a lot that is going head to head with Teams right now. Like so many of them were using Skype for Business. Well, then Microsoft pulled out of Skype for Business and moved towards Replaced Teams. It with Teams. With Teams. So there is like Teams is, you guys, you may be able to get rid of it at your workplace, but there are so many that wouldn't be able to. And um, I think that that's, mm-hmm. that's actually the future of the workplace is not not uh, be relying on the face-to-face communications. I think that that's my future.
0: If, do you know if your workplace has tried to use Slack or uh, any alternative to Teams or is Teams it?
1: The thing is that they're not, I don't think, like in my opinion, and this is my personal opinion, I don't think that Slack is... True competition for teams. I, I think that there are elements that they try to do with like the like teams channels compared to Slack. But I think when you look at the overall product of teams, right from uh from that area to communication, like to meetings to email, like all file of that sharing. integration, yeah. that file sharing, like because it's all getting worked into teams. I don't think Slack's anywhere near near teams.
2: You can use any kind of service to replace, like the chat functionality yeah. or, or the calling functionality. But being able to literally hit a button and pull up a slide deck inside of a Teams call, edit it on the fly, talk about it, give control to say Stephen because he wants to show something off—that's interesting stuff that I think only Google might have something similar. And the work I work in, you won't be able to use Google for that. We're all bought into Office three sixty five, and for the most part, once we transitioned. It's been kind of a revelation as to how it's made many things easier, aside from the occasional hiccup, like these authentication issues, stuff like that. But that's kind of the exception to the norm at this point. So we've been really lucky that the migration Office 365 and Teams, where I work, has actually made our lives a lot easier and has actually made it so that they've set up schedules so that even when we go to whatever the new normal is in a post-COVID era, we're still going to have a good chunk of the workforce Working from home three to four days a week.
1: Yeah,
0: here's where having three old dudes and one of which is much older than the other guys—that <laughs> would be me. I'll admit it. On this, on the podcast, kind of falls a little short because I know that there continues to be distance learning, distance learning at the every, everywhere from the kindergarten level on up sure. to uh, the college level right now, and I don't think they're using Teams. I think they're using other specified platforms and I can't remember what my daughter is using. There's a
2: Google platform, they're using Zoom calls. I, mm-hmm. I don't I think Teams is mostly looking at enterprise solutions and things like that. Right. Whereas Google actually has like a school-like product that yeah. they've they, got rolled out that has been helpful, I believe.
1: Yeah, they call it Google Classroom.
2: Something okay. like that. Yeah you're You're probably more clued into it than I because I your am. kids are probably using something similar, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, no, I, for sure. and I think that that's where you're gonna see that sort of fracture because you know we had uh, like as of a year ago now, a whole bunch of different services trying to do things they weren't ready to do they they were trying to get in on that hot hot zoom action that everybody was taking up on. and so I think now you know we're gonna see some of that settle and teams will focus back towards enterprise and not so much towards school and i think that's a really good point sp so
0: yeah i was just thinking of the next generation stuff like so many people that start up in like the 20s and the 30s they exclusively use apple computers and why is that it's because largely the education environment really rewards the people to have apple or maybe it's a status symbol or something like that so the mac os system really wins out on college campuses, this could be similar where you have a architecture for distance learning that wins in the classroom environment. And then you try to translate that to the business environment. And it wouldn't be until the people working the IT that are out of college say, hey, I use this in college. I think we could use this or maybe parents with kids or or whatever that classroom environments start to get more businessy as a competition to teams, because you're right, Chris, I think this is going to continue into the new normal. Mm-hmm. My work is is uh, unique in that most of my work can't be done from home, but everybody else can work from home. So, You
1: know, I yeah. know we got a couple of news points, but I really like your point that you bring up there about how the generation going through school does set sort of what that next generation of technology is, because you're right. When, like you know, Chris and I were in like the post-secondary type uh, schooling, we ended up having a lot of people who were using Apple products in colleges and university and things like that. And then you see that play out now. Well, it occurs to me that at the moment, Chromebooks and and cloud-based thing is so Mm -hmm. so big in younger ages. And so, is that going to be the push where you know, in ten years from now? maybe less than that, five to 10 years, you've got a huge shift towards just like, yeah, I, I just operate in the cloud. Like, I don't I don't need uh, a, a, a Apple. I don't need a Windows computer. I just need something that works entirely with my cloud services. So for basic productivity
2: tests, we're already seeing that. We live in a browser-centric world for that, not necessarily hardware-centric, meaning as long as I can log into my Google account or my Microsoft account or whatever it is that we do all of our cloud-based productivity stuff in, it doesn't matter what kind of machine it is, how powerful it is, because it just needs a browser that works. And we're starting to see that now. And that was something that we'd sorted when I was in college, talked about this would be kind of cool. Now, when you start getting into more specialized kinds of things you need to do that's when the Chromebook kind of becomes more problematic, things like that. Like if you're doing video processing or video editing, things like that, you you will need specialized hardware, things like that for it. Or at least decent hardware in comparison to a Chromebook, unless you have massive backhaul on your internet and cloud-based servers that are going to do your video processing for you. But you still have to do work there to push things down the pipe to your machine.
1: But it's interesting, though, to think about that as well. And I'll get off of this here. I just love this this line of thought with things like xCloud, right? Like if xCloud is a success, look at what that's doing with video in in the cloud, right? Like that could be a jumping point towards some of these intensive things being done in the cloud.
2: Well, we've already started to see interesting stuff like that, too, with uh, television production and things like that for live event production, like the NFL draft. Let's talk about last year's draft. used to be you had to have a whole bunch of people in one room that are running massive boards and things like that. They then shifted to, okay, this guy's in his house. He's got like six different computers spun up and things like that. But the production doesn't all have to be on site. We've seen it with sports to a lesser extent, where it used to be you always had the commentator and the color commentator sitting at a desk courtside. Not anymore. If you're watching ESPN stuff, more often than not, they're sitting in a booth in Bristol, Connecticut, watching a live stream of the game, doing their commentary. It's not quite the same experience, but we're getting to a point where these remote capabilities are there. Now, the caveat on all of this, of course, is bandwidth, (laughs) which is a big problem (laughs) if you live in the United States of America, depending on where you are. Some people have great bandwidth. Other people live out in not even the sticks just outside city limits. And they're like, I can only get DSL because nothing else is here. And I get four megabits per second down.
0: So I've got three quick points. I had two until you just mentioned that, Chris. So you're talking about commentators in the booth. This is not new. I go to offshore racing, you know, the big power boats, those were done by in the booth and you had a helicopter following the boats around. And that's how they did that. And that's been going on for 30, 40 years. And That's just one way to do things. I think that eventually here in the next couple of months, you're going to see a return of broadcasters to the actual venue and you're going to see less and less than that. So that's point one. Point two is the reason why Chromebooks are winning out is they're so cheap in comparison to everything else. And I think you're going to see some real ingenuity for kids that want to push the limits on these things. Eventually they're just going to give up and they're going to go with other things, but they're going to create some great opportunities through it. And the third thing I was going to say is I started college where we had dumb terminals going into mainframe computers, big Cray computers. I was at the University of Minnesota and I did this and I had the punch cards and everything. Well, we're kind of right back in there. Instead of a mainframe computer, you have the cloud. So I, I, I think it's an interesting cycle to have gone yeah. through the past 40, 50 years.
1: Well, that's our news point about Teams issues. <laughs> 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 all right, well, let's go on to other Microsoft news, which is about Edge. Yeah, so we'll make this one kind of
2: quick, but I made the point in the last news story that it's all becoming less and less about what the hardware is you have and more about the browser you have, which is seemingly something that Google, Mozilla, Microsoft have all started realizing. So if you've been using one of these modern uh, browsers, you've probably seen that updates are coming about every six to eight weeks as it was. Well, Microsoft did announce last week that they're going to be switching to a four-week release cycle for their stable builds of Edge later this year, That uh, starting with Edge 94, which drops in September. Earlier this year, Google had also announced Chrome is going to be moving to that same cycle with Chrome 94 sometime in the third quarter of 2021 as an effort to get more features out Faster and stable builds. And since Edge is built on the Chromium engine, sort of makes sense that Microsoft would follow them down that same path. So, why didn't I mention Mozilla's Firefox? They did this in early 2020, which I didn't realize, and moved to four week development cycles and putting new builds out, which is kind of awesome, kind of cool. Now, this is me saying that as an end user who doesn't live on enterprise systems and have to worry about IT security and going through and double checking to make sure there's new holes. They did mention that uh, four-week cycles might not be ideal for everyone, especially enterprise customers. So Microsoft is going to be rolling out what they're calling the extended stable option through which Microsoft is going to roll out major edge updates every eight weeks and then bi-weekly security updates to those who choose that option. And Google is also offering a similar extended stable option to its enterprise customers. So if you're just, I want to use my computer to browse the web once a month, basically you're getting an updated browser which is an awesome thing for us as long as you're updating your browser because it ensures it's updated, any vulnerabilities patched, and potentially you're getting new capabilities like Suncast mentioned in the chat room. Edge is getting themes now, baby. We're good to go.
1: Is the Chris Farrell theme coming soon? It's just me going. Yes, yes. Uh, What was the the previous release cycle? Six to eight weeks, I believe. Okay.
0: Is the theme for Agatha, it was Agatha all along, going to be on Edge? Mm,
2: It's a good question. I mean, if you go to YouTube or Spotify or your music streaming service through there. Is the better podcasting theme going to be on Edge? If you go play better podcasting on YouTube.com slash GunnaGeek, I assume yes.
1: What about the Three's Company theme? Will that
2: be on there? Uh, YouTube.com search Three's Company theme. Are you noticing a trend here of how I'm saying to find these things? YouTube.com.
0: <laughs> and he's not being paid by Google whatsoever.
2: Google, if you want to pay me to promote YouTube.com, I'm sure you don't. I will gladly just take like free subscription to YouTube Premium, so I can let my subscription
1: lapse.
0: I'm or sure YouTube TV, yeah,
2: yeah, or YouTube TV because that's getting
0: expensive.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh anything you want to throw in this SP
0: for Edge? You know, I have not used Firefox for a very long time. I transitioned from Firefox over to Chrome. And just lately I've been using edge. So I've been going back and forth between Chrome and edge, especially at work, whichever will work best for me. Basically, if I'm having trouble with one, I'll go to the other. I'm fine with either of those browsers. I do have access to Firefox at work. I just haven't used it. So I I guess it's in my bag of tricks. I think we also have access to opera. I I want (laughs) to say, uh, which is interesting, but I just stick with the main things. Look, I am at work and I want to get things done. I I don't, sit there and and try new things, that sort of stuff. So not unless the guy next to me or the gal next to me has success with another browser do I do. One of the new guys that works for me does use Firefox as his second browser and he's been having some luck. So I might actually try that out.
2: And if you're using Edge, like we said, it's all built off Chromium. So it's very similar to Google Chrome. It's basically a forked variant of Chromium. And it's really interesting, the working relationship that Microsoft and Google have developed towards updating that engine where Microsoft Mm -hmm. fixed a bunch of stuff. Google was like, ooh, that's awesome. When they checked into the code repository and then folded it into Chrome. It's kind of cool.
1: All right, well, let's move on to our last news, points here. Uh, Close this up with a little bit more space news, SP.
0: Yeah, you guys knew it was coming. I was going to talk a little bit about SpaceX, but before I get there, I'm going to talk about Boeing and NASA. So NASA is targeting March 18th, this week, Thursday, the day after St. Patrick's Day, for a critical engine test of its space launch system moon rocket quote NASA is targeting Thursday March 18th for the second hot fire of the space launch system SLS rocket's core stage at NASA's Stennis Space Center near Bay St. Louis, Missouri. Okay, this hot fire is the last test before the Artemis 1 core stage is shipped to the agency's Kennedy Space Center for assembly and integration with the rest of the rocket's major elements and the Orion spacecraft. Exploration Ground Systems teams at Kennedy have stacked all parts of the solid rocket boosters for Artemis 1 in the vehicle assembly building and are finishing up booster assembly. After the core stage arrives, it will be lifted and placed between the two boosters and attached at the core stage engine and intertank sections. Other parts of the rocket and the Orion spacecraft are also at Kennedy and are being prepared for final assembly and integration, unquote. So this is kind of exciting. We're getting some positive movement forward. I want to caution everybody on this, on NASA and SLS and the Artemis system and our return to the moon. With the pending budgetary situation that the United States is facing after the pandemic, the United States government, and with all of the COVID relief packages that have been passed over the last year, I'm, I'm not going to say that they weren't needed. They definitely were needed for a lot of people. It's just going to impact the entire budget for the United States of America, and NASA is going to be one that is hit. They've already stated that the goal of getting back to the moon in 2024 is too ambitious given the delays and the reduced funding that they had already had. So We're probably going to see a slip. Now, the only thing that will push this forward is if Biden really wants to see this done before his first term in office is finished, kind of like what Trump was trying to do if he got a second term. But I just I just don't see it, guys. I I think it's going to slip into the next administration for us to go back to the moon. So, yes, a lot of exciting things here. This test, this hot fire test has to go right before the entire program gets derailed and rescoped and and uh, reprogrammed and things slipped out significantly to the right. So actually a lot hinges on this test coming up this week. So stay tuned. It's scheduled for Thursday, March 18th. For those that like watching it live on Facebook or on YouTube, there's going to be a lot of channels that are re- going to be covering this. NASA might actually stream it on their own stream. So just keep an eye out for it. I don't have a time This is going to happen, but it's going to happen on Thursday. So, if you're lucky enough to get to see the raw power of the largest rocket that the United States has ever made, yes, I did say largest rocket (laughs) that the United States ever made because it's going to be bigger and more powerful than the Saturn V. This will be interesting to watch.
1: And remind me again SLS, it stands for what? SP's Lunch Sandwich. Is that what it is?
0: Oh, I'm hungry. Yeah. Uh, No, it stands for Space Launch System or SLS. It is the launch system a launch portion of the Artemis program that will get astronauts back to the moon. And ultimately it was supposed to be NASA's way to get to Mars eventually. But I think SpaceX is going to be doing that, which by the way, a lot of stuff happened with uh, SpaceX this past week. We talked about the SN11 going out to the launch pad on last Monday, and uh, it was pretty quick turnaround. They did get the approval for an SN11 flight before the mishap investigation was completed for SN10 by the FAA. It's a little bit unusual, but they fe- feel good enough to actually go ahead and launch. So SN11 did a static fire today that was cut short. So they re- three Raptor engines ignited, but it wasn't a sustained test. So they have to do that first. They have to install the explosive system to, in case anything goes wrong. So we're looking at something that's as early as Wednesday or Thursday this week. But here's the big news for SpaceX. They came out in, in internal company documents, which were seen by NASA spaceflight personnel. That's the whole thing that we talked about last time. Indicated they have a goal to get to orbit with Starship and the Super Heavy by July 1st, 2021. So we might see an orbital version of Starship by summer. Now, I don't know if this is going to happen or not, but I know that he, meaning Elon, really wants to push forward on this for a lot of different reasons. And he's always been a, a driver for schedule. So if there's any way that he can actually make this happen, and hopefully they won't have any huge mishaps, because all the mishaps that have happened so far have kind of been programmed, I think it's going to be awesome to see uh, something in orbit by July 1st. I don't know if we're actually going to recover successfully what goes up, but they're going to try a variety of different things. I don't know if uh, you guys know, they actually have two they bought two oil rig platforms to actually act as launch and recovery platforms for starship did i tell you guys that before no. yeah so they're redoing both of those right now uh, odds are one would be available for a landing platform only by july if they want to go ahead and do this which will be important because as as you're going up into orbit you can't expend all your energy and then come back to Boca Chica. There's your Boca Chica, by the way. Yeah, you're <laughs> just going to keep on going forward and then you're going to drop where you uh, lose thrust for the main stage. They still want to recover it. This is a completely reusable system. So they're going to re- try to recover it with a platform, a landing platform that's made out of an old oil platform. So uh, there, there's a lot of moving puzzles moving pieces of the puzzle here. But yeah, that that's what's going on with SpaceX. We'll probably see SN11 go up and hopefully come back down later this week out of Boca Chica or Space Base USA, Two. whatever you want to call it. I'm going to keep calling it Boca Chica. And then uh, we might see an orbital flight. I might actually drive down to Texas for it. We'll see. This is going to be exciting, guys. Cool.
1: Well, thanks for updating us on that. And we look forward to you telling us what it was like to go to space. Uh You said that that, this is all leading to your launch into space. Is that what this is? You weren't supposed to tell anybody. (laughs) To visit Suncast.
0: By the way, if you want to get, I guess it's the 15th. So the deadline is today. If you want to get on the SpaceX trip around the moon that's being financed by the Japanese billionaire, uh, today is the deadline to get in to put your name in the hat for the initial round. So hopefully those that have wanted to get on board that have put their name in the hat.
1: I left my wallet at home.
0: You are at home. Steven.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, thanks everybody for checking out another episode of the Guinea geek show. Before we go, let's we'll take a moment here to talk about where we've all been doing things lately. Uh, I know that Chris Farrell, you mentioned all things good and nerdy, but is there anything else that you would like to plug or promote or plug that as well?
2: Just a friendly reminder, reminder, excuse me,
1: that there is other
2: live content on the Guinea Geek Network. If you're watching us right now on Geek Style Live as we record this live on Monday evening, you can scroll down to the bottom of the page, see our calendar of all of the other upcoming live events, and we really do encourage you, pop on over, check out some of these other live shows, and
0: tell them that we sent you. Aspie. After that wonderful plug of the network, Chris, I'm going to feel really selfish by saying, legends of shield we just completed our water wandavision coverage we had an exciting recording yesterday about the punisher season two with chris from play comics but the real news there is that next week we got falcon and the winter soldier really excited about watching that and uh, i guess the girls are going to try to watch it with me so we'll see about that uh, but i'm definitely going to watch it we're going to podcast about it 5 p.m Eastern Standard Time, Sunday, Geeks.Live will be recording. If you have anything you want to tell us about your watch of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, just get it into us. Uh, anyway, uh, Stargate Pioneer at guineageek.com or uh, catch us on our Discord server, which you can find at geek.com slash Discord.
1: Awesome. So for episode number 369 of the official going Geek show. I'm Steven John Drew saying 30 years, 10 months and 19 days as of today is how long the Hubble has been on its mission.
0: Yes, Steven. But how long was it actually manufactured? You got to go back in time for that. Hey, guys, I'm SP saying we'll see you guys in two weeks, two weeks. No show next week. See you in two weeks.
2: I'm Chris. Hubble going to drop on Steven's house. And yes.
1: Yeah, we won't have a show next week. Thank you, SB. Bye. (laughs) Bye.
0: Thanks for checking out another episode of the official GunnaGeek.com show. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on YouTube. You can always join us for our live recording sessions, which stream Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern at www.geeks.live. And remember, you can find our full back catalog at gunageek.com forward slash show. If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.